Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 13th of December 2019. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Report Research Director Robert Barwick. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, train wreck cash ban hearings prove we've won the argument. And the rush to silence Australians, another marker of the coming crash. Now, Lisa, this is our last regular show for the year. Um, We'll have some things over the break until early in January that people can still watch. But this is going to be what we're about to talk about is a great end to what's been actually a very good year. Mm -hmm. Yes. So train wreck cash ban hearings prove we've won the argument. What that means is we've made our argument and proven it's superior mm -hmm. to our uh, interlocutors and uh, our opponents. The, the Treasury boffins, <laughs> who, 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 who politicians make the mistake of thinking you're all knowing, were exposed yesterday mm. as, as, uh, as, as, as intellectually naked and bankrupt. That's right, but we still have yet to win the fight. We've won the yeah. argument, we have to win the fight. No, but right. what we're going to go through shows we really can win this fight because it shows the impact of the organising mm. of various organisations of the population en masse uh, has really been felt by members of parliament. So how this came about is that Wednesday night, two days ago, after 5pm... Well, after 5.30pm... The uh, Senate committee that's inquiring into the uh, government legislation to ban cash transactions over $10,000, uh, of course, conducting an inquiry in the Senate through to February 7th, issued an, an a email to people tracking the bill... So only a select group of people, not all of the people who submitted to the inquiry by any stretch of the imagination, uh, announcing that the following morning at 9am, they were going to have hearings in Canberra into this bill. Now think about this for a minute. They got about 3,000 people to make submissions. Actually, no. Well, I just listened to the opening of the um, hearings. The, the, the chairman, Slade Brockman, said they got 2,659, I think, or 52 it's their um, submissions, pieces of correspondence, yada yada yada. Well, we've got we've got written uh, written letters from the from this committee saying they got over a twenty eight hundred. Mm. So they can't get this story straight. Still, but anyway, lots of people, thousands of people made submissions on this. They planned. A lot of people asked for hearings. <laughs> they decided to hold hearings. The people who were witnesses would have been invited at least a week earlier because you've got to change your schedule to go to these hearings, right? So that, that would have all been taken care of. But knowing there's this massive depth of feeling out there, they waited until 5.30, after 5.30pm the night before to notify the public, the interested public, that these hearings would be on. Yeah. Why? Because they didn't want the public there. These are public hearings, but they didn't want the public. And that's why we put out a press release calling them the cash ban cowards. Yeah. Now, the next day, um, before the hearings began, mind you, they then uh, announced that there would be a subsequent hearing next year, January the 29th. And I think, so this was, this was key, from, from 8 o'clock in the morning yesterday, an hour before the, the hearings actually began, um, certain people were notified that there would be a second hearing on the 29th of January. And, I mean, you can't prove it, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if, if that was because... They got immediate blowback the night before. The mm. committee got immediate blowback. I mean, I know I called and spoke to the committee secretary 
uh, Mr. Mark Fit, and he hung up on me when he tried to play bureaucratic games with me and I told him to cut the crap, right? He immediately hung up on me. Um, but I know other people sent, wrote letters of, formal letters of complaint to the Senate president calling this unconscionable that, that they would so clearly rig the, um, the, 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 the holding of this hearing to make sure the public couldn't be there. Mm. Right? That's the only reason that the late notification um, happened. And so, so, you know, to cover their butts, they scrambled around. First thing in the morning, they announced another hearing on the, and, and, and later on it was revealed it was on the 29th of January. Mm. Now, in Sydney. Is, in Sydney. So this is one that we will go to, mm. except, Elisa, after the way that yesterday's hearing went, yeah. I suspect, I wouldn't be surprised if they're regretting planning another hearing because it was a disaster for them. And mind you, just to add one other thing, um, which is indicative of um, the fact that they're bunkering down, uh, they had very tight security outside this, secu- they this hearing because yeah. they obviously were expecting irate people and with the, um, uh, the various bank AGMs going on right now where the banks <laughs> have really been copying it, the environment couldn't be better. They were, the, the, the people who did, the handful of people in Canberra who did get to go along thanks to the flurry of activity on the internet and they were hearing about it, reported that the security was very tight. Right? And I'd been to the same committee hearing room two weeks earlier and there was... I mean, there's, there's, there's always security in Parliament, but there was virtually nothing. I was able to just walk in, sit, take my seat. This time, the people who went there, the security stopped them at the door, made them wait until they went in, asked if, if, the, if these people were permitted to come in mm. to a public hearing. By definition, <laughs> they're permitted to come in. So that tells you they were, they were on edge, and that, that, that reinforces our... our um, uh, you know, understanding that they wanted to make sure the public didn't come. Yeah, and you can see, we'll put footage up in the background, that the room was virtually empty, which would have been quite different had this been publicised. So, of course, as you said, these hearings were thrown out right at the end of the year, the last breath of 2019, as a token thing that they could say, okay, we've done our due diligence, but it all went wrong. It went haywire for them because two, two senators... Decided to take this seriously because they have been, as most MPs have, hounded on this matter. Two senators turned up for work, and they made it, what what actually transpired um, is the result of our cumulative efforts. When I say our citizens party, the various people with collaborate, collaborate are on you know different, totally different organisations, etc. Lots of different people have come together to share the, the opposition to this cash ban. But a lot of that overlaps the, the, the longer standing opposition to bail-in, et cetera. But there's been a, a, a couple of years now of constant engagement with politicians on these issues. A lot of people, you know, I, I appeal to the viewers, you know who you are. It's, it, you're always feeling demoralised. This, you know, this is all rigged, they're getting nowhere, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is going to happen anyway. And, and maybe it is going to happen anyway, but if you don't fight it, you're mm. ensuring it's going to happen everywhere. So we, we never allow ourselves to think like that. We keep fighting, we keep engaging. And the two, uh, Senator Retz Patrick from the Centre Alliance, Senator Alex Gallagher from the Labor Party, both South Australians, by the way. So if you're a South Australian viewer and you've been engaged, thumbs up to you, right? Um, they started, they, they, they didn't have an agenda. I, I'm sure both men would have been happy to be convinced by the witnesses, right, the official government witnesses, that this was necessary. They didn't seem to have a, an axe to grind. They did, though, have a healthy scepticism, right? And they both repeatedly attributed to that to the amount of people who've been contacting them complaining, mm. right? And so they wanted proof from the official witnesses that the benefit of banning cash transactions over $10,000 
would outweigh the impact, the negative impact it's going to have on the community, right? Both in you know, civil rights, in practical business dealings, in privacy, all those sort of things. They want a proof of that. And they didn't get it. Just with, they were just, through their persistent questioning, they kept saying, show us data, show us information. Both of them cited the comparison between the targets of this bill being ordinary people, ordinary small businesses, or ordinary tradies who are supposedly tax evading, and the big end of town, right? The guys who do the real tax evasion in the big multinational corporate. Both of them, Alex Gallagher and, and Rex Patrick, cited that discrepancy. You can tell they were like, they had a high bar. You prove us. Now, they, were, they had the Treasury on the stand, right? The people who come up with this bill, this is their bill. Those Treasury guys, they should have had all these facts and figures at their, at their disposal, and they had nothing, mm. right? Absolutely nothing. I was, I was blown away, and I'll follow this closer than most. And, and even, they even admitted that the Black Economy Task Force report on which this is all based, they, they didn't even do surveys of, to, to get data of the Australian business um, landscape. They held a few town hall meetings and listened to a few gripes of a few people, right? This is a thing that was done by KPMG. Um, so those... The 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 the, uh, the the senators on the on the committee were supremely unimpressed, and you cannot leave that hearing and think there is any justification mm. for this bill. And so this is important because it comes down to the fact that one of them was Labor is crucial. Elisa it comes down to the the, 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 the the potential to beat this bill comes down to what the Labor Party will do, right? And right now their sole representative on this in this hearing will be saying to them, "I'm not convinced." Right, and so this fight is not over. The night before, we were, we were, we were seeing just again how blatantly they're prepared to rig it. Within 24 hours, we see this ain't over. Right, We have a real chance to win this. Mm. Um, and in, just to give a bit more detail on that, because Austrac, for instance, was interviewed and they couldn't, for one, state how the impact of such a ban on cash transactions would make any impact whatsoever on the black economy. That's and, right. And the second thing you can elaborate I felt is... sorry for Austrac because they, they... The woman was totally... I think she was a sacrificial mm. lamb. She couldn't... She couldn't... Um, she Because ha you have to declare transactions over $10,000, right? And they said, well, that's what you do already. What what will this bill capture? And she said, well, we, we do this... You know, we, we monitor the stuff over $10,000. This will This will help... You know that area under ten thousand dollars. No, it won't. It's a ten thousand dollar cash ban. It won't do unless it won't do anything under unless that. it is, as we say, the thin well, edge of the wedge to get mm. it into five thousand, two thousand, etc. Which they know the Australian people would never tolerate. Mm. Right? They're trying to set it at a level that people might, you know, accept. Oh, I never use that. But if they if if they suggest two thousand and one thousand dollars, which Mr. Mark Zernsack from the Uniting Church was aggressively advocating, right? For whatever reason, the Uniting Church. All we know about the Uniting Church's motivation is they have a very close relationship with KPMG, right? That, that's, 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 the, that's pushing this. Because apart from that, this guy was, was, a, was a total zealot for this, um, totally out of kilter with, you know, you're thinking, why are you so fired up for something that, you know, um, is going to take away all our rights, mm. you know? So that, that was just a, a strange thing. But he was demanding, it's got to be lower, it's got to be lower. And that's, you know, if, 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 that, if the government was honest about that, we've already won this. And KPMG, by the way, um, was also subject to being named as a key perpetrator in the uh, Westpac AGM, which the media are saying, you know, 600 plus shareholders yep. were turning up. At Two, the... So that was the other big event yesterday. So the, 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 the very controversial, tension-filled Westpac AGM, 
The bank warriors went there, and these are the bank victims that have decided that we're not going to be victims, right? We're going to take this fight up to them. Um, and they go there and they line up because they've got shares and they ask questions, but not just about their cases, about policy, etc. And some ask questions about derivatives. Dr. Peter Branson from Bank Reform Now, he asked about the fact that three of the directors of, of Westpac on the board are from K, not KPMG, top-ranking guys, right? He asked about that. So that was there will be some um, video footage of that. That was actually reported in the Australian Financial Review that that happened. Mm. And so we're successfully slamming them on many fronts. These things were not being lost on the people who participated there, where they can start to see this, what we call this criminal apparatus, right? This vast criminal enterprise of the banks mm. overlapping the big four global accounting firms, etc. It's on display for everyone to see. Yeah, we'll take a quick break. Be right back. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're going to talk a little bit now about the backdrop to this developing situation where the anger at the banks is really brewing to a crescendo, uh, and that is the global financial situation, and there's a bunch of warnings uh, of what will happen between now and the end of the year and early new year of a real financial crunch. Uh, so we had the warning uh, today or yesterday that credits, a Credit Suisse analyst, Zoltan Pozzar, has stated that the Fed will be doing QE4 by year end if the funding stresses that they're foreshadowing come about. Uh, and he specifically asked, uh, referenced foreign exchange swaps. He said FX swaps could end up as the orphaned asset class and that may force banks in some parts of the world to the edge of the proverbial abyss in the next few weeks. So basically, Credit Suisse is anticipating a very serious end-of-year crunch in the repo markets, which, as we know, have already been bad enough, and all of what the Fed has been doing to inject money on a daily, fortnightly, 28- and 42-daily basis has not had any impact whatsoever. And a lot of it's been a mystery up until now, but the other day the BIS made the point that the, the cause of the problem is in the biggest four banks on Wall Street. Yes, I'm about to get to that. But what this Credit Suisse analyst said is that the Forex transactions require a lot of liquidity, especially in times of stress. This is a form of derivative uh, and banks and hedge funds have been running into quite a bit of trouble, which is part of what's caused this whole repo crunch in the first place. Um, now, another headline came uh, out this was from Bank of America report from uh, bank economist Michael Hartnett saying central banks are acting as if a global financial crisis is just around the corner. But it's not an act. It, it definitely is. Yeah, definitely. Um, now back to this Bank for International Settlements report because as you mentioned, this is in a section of their December quarterly review. Uh, they are highlighting the fact that it's only four of the biggest American banks uh, that are the cause of the problems in the interbank lending market just simply because those two, those four yeah. too-big-to-fail banks dominate the market. Now, they didn't name them, um, but they would have to be among the six biggest banks, which are JP Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Uh, what they stated is that US repo markets currently rely heavily on four banks as marginal lenders as the composition of their liquid assets became more skewed towards US Treasuries, their ability to supply funding at short notice in repo markets was diminished. So what this means is that these big banks 
have shifted out of their cash reserves, the excesses of which get lent out into repo markets, and they've moved into speculating in treasuries. And this is as a result, as the BIS spells out, yep. of over 10 years of negative to zero interest rates and quantitative easing. And those four banks now hold over 50% of treasuries available in the market as of mid this year. Treasuries take one to two days to settle, which means with the interaction of that and the repo mm. market, they don't always have available money to lend in the repo market if they're settling treasury speculation. Now, add to the equation that hedge funds, as I mentioned, are in trouble. They have dramatically increased speculation and BIS put out figures about 25% increases in derivative speculation just recently. Um, and therefore, they're making greater demand on the repo markets to pay out and settle derivatives transactions. They need cash. Uh, and there's been, as we've reported in our Australian Alert Service recently, uh, extensively, a spate of hedge fund withdrawals and even failures of hedge funds, especially based in London. And what the BIS warned is that sustained disruption in this way of the repo market could quickly ripple through the financial system. And they mentioned that this was the biggest problem during the global financial crisis. And that's the nature of derivatives. They're off balance sheet, right? They're highly complicated. Um, very few people can understand them. Even the people trading in these things can barely understand them. They, they have to hire you know, advanced engineers and mathematicians from top universities to come up with the formulas for them all. When, they, when, they, when things are going, getting rocky and they're going bad, right? Um, you know, the, the, the banks have got to keep coming up with collateral all the time, or the, or the players, the hedge funds, whoever they are, right? Um, and they're desperate, right? You know, oh, I've got to settle this, I've got to settle this. It can be happening all over the place, trying to put out little spot fires, and they're trying to tap into this funding mechanism and the money's not there, right? And so we've been in this zone, if you will, since September. And I, just to remind the viewers, the global financial crisis blew up in September 2018, but the problem started materialising in January and February, sorry, 20, 2008, not 2018. The problem started materialising in January and February 2007, mm. right? And it was a slow burn, big eruptions, smaller eruptions, etc. But it was, we were in a zone then and we're in a zone now. Mm. And this could, this could just go skyrocket any time. And the cash ban struggle we're in now is part of this whole struggle between do the banks and um, you know, elite dominate how to deal with that or do the people... A person who went to the cash ban hearing yesterday, who is pretty well connected, I feel, said to me, he's convinced by looking at, looking at them that they know a crisis is coming and they need these policies in place to make sure they can trap people in banks so their little schemes can work. Yeah, they exactly. won't work anyway, but they're hoping they will. And work. after this break, we're going to discuss exactly how... Uh, the powers that be are trying to silence the average Australians from speaking out and putting real solutions forward. Yeah. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. The rush to silence Australians, another marker of the coming crash. So as we were just saying, with the crash coming down, um, there's you know people putting forward real solutions and uh, politicians and other leaders are starting to listen and take it far more seriously. Uh, so there's an effort to bring in laws that will clamp down on that potential really being adopted. Well, we have what we call, when we talk about bad governments around the world, like just say, take Syria, right? It was always the Assad regime, the Assad regime. 
Well, we have in the West the Wall Street City of London regime. That's what governs yes. countries like Australia, Britain, the United States. It's a regime. It doesn't matter which party's in power. It's the Wall Street City of London regime. And so in a crash, their power, their, the power of that regime is threatened, right, because people rebel mm. and they have to have policies to consolidate their power. Yeah. And we're seeing that not just in the cash ban area and financial policies, in civil mm. other areas as well. And silencing whistleblowers is a key part of that because this is often where you get you know, the real truth coming forward. And in that vein, uh, what people may not have heard about is that in, a, in Octo an October conference this year, the Australian Cyber Conference, uh, NSA whistleblower Thomas Drake was prevented from speaking, as was Dr Sulet Dreyfus from Melbourne University, who's someone that has tried to set up procedures for whistleblowers to um, act according to the law and so forth, which is a pretty ridiculous law, the way we have it. Um, and they were both cancelled as speakers, Thomas Drake, just before he was hopping on the plane to come over here. Drake has said that whistleblowers are the canary in the coal mine of democracy. And Dreyfus said there's now a culture of fear about speaking up. Um, so Just to be clear, they're talking about Beijing, are they? No, they're, they're talking, talking about, about Canberra. Australia. Oh, that's, that's an important point. Exactly. Um, and when uh, the head of the Australian Cyber Security Centre, Rachel Noble, who's ex-Defence and Home Affairs and Pine Gap, Deputy of Pine Gap, was asked about this in Senate hearings. Um, she said, oh, you know, we don't agree with their methodology, how they went about this and what they exposed. Um, oh, of course not. <laughs> exactly. So she was the one that, that cancelled them. But just to prove the point, uh, there's new, now this new case of Witness J. This is someone who last year was, and we don't know who he is, but we know he's someone who was in um, the military and served in Iraq, East Timor, uh, and um, one other location. And uh, he was basically tried in complete secrecy and in prison. He was sentenced to two and a half years. He got out in August, supposedly for breaching security provisions, but it was said that he imperiled lives and national security. However, an ABC source said he had to be shut down. They said Julian Assange imperiled lives and national security as well. Exactly. So this is the kind of thing you're getting, but where no one would have even known about this had not two journalists seen two security guards in front of a courtroom door and made inquiries. Yeah. Now, we'll just show a quick video clip which sort of sums up where this is going. In a humorous way. Hello, I'm from the Australian Government. As you may have noticed, we're in the process of transitioning to authoritarianism. Don't worry, you don't need to do anything. In fact, doing and saying nothing will greatly assist us in this process. For guidance, just look to the Labor Party. Sadly, not everyone knows how to be a quiet Australian. That's why, to ensure a smooth transition to authoritarianism, we're launching a new initiative. Introducing the, the Quiet, quiet Australia, Australia Policy. Under the Quiet Australia Policy, Australia will be home only to quiet people such as quiet whistleblowers because we're prosecuting all the loud ones who expose our like how we abuse the tax system and defraud our neighbours, commit war crimes and spy on all of you. We'll also have quiet journalists because the ones who do their job by publishing those leaks will get their asses raided or thrown in jail to please our masters because journalists aren't above the law except when they publish what we leak to them for our political interests in which case they are. So this is in the midst of other goings-on, such as uh, Prime Minister Morrison doing a shake-up of the whole public service, shutting down departments and problem, real problems, grave problems with the freedom of information processes that they're not tackling at all.
Yep, and it's as we said, it, it it's a it's one of one of a kind with what we're fighting on the cash ban, bail in, etc. This is the regime, and we're fighting it. So, Elisa, twenty nineteen has been a very big year in this fight, right? We, and I think the viewers should pat themselves on the back for being engaged. Um, have a good Christmas break. When we come back in 2020, we have a cash ban fight to win, we have bail in to defeat, and we've got a regime to defeat. Yep. So calling for more information. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks, Robert. Thanks, Lisa. See you next year. Thank you.